0: Good morning, my name is Jay Rosenthal. I'm the co-founder and president of The Business of Cannabis. This is BFC Live for Tuesday, May 12th, 2020. BFC Live is a video and podcast production of The Business of Cannabis. Since 2017, through our web, social, video, podcast channels, as well as real world and virtual events, we've highlighted the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the global cannabis industry. We encourage you to explore all that we do at businessofcannabis.ca. Before we get into our conversation with Harrison Stoker of Hobo, uh, a few B of C announcements. First, this Friday, join us for a Friday Lunch and Learn with Ian Dick. This is the first of a four-part series called Creating an Omnichannel Cannabis Retail Experience, which will be presented by Shopify. It'll highlight how retailers are becoming future-proof through thoughtful applications of a leading Canadian technology. Second, next Friday on May 22nd, Alan Brockstein, the 420 investor and of course of New Cannabis Ventures, will be our Lunch and Learn guest talking about the state of cannabis investing. You can find out about both of these programs on our website, as I said, businessofcannabis.ca, and by following us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you visit businessofcannabis.ca today, you'll see an update from our Benchmarks Update, which we produce every Tuesday with the help of Cannabis Benchmarks. In today's update, uh, the uh, team at Cannabis Benchmarks examines newly released medical cannabis sales data. And although the data is only current to September 2019, Cannabis Benchmarks has modeled medical cannabis sales from October 2019 through February 2020. The sales of cannabis to registered patients has declined sharply since the recreational market opened, but projections indicate that they will eventually find a bottom even as recreational sales continue to grow. Which brings us to B of C Live this week. For the remainder of the week, here's what we have lined up. Angelo Tzabilis, the CEO of Web, uh, sorry, from WeedMD, and Afshin Mousavian from Responsible Cannabis Use, and Nick Pateris of Materia Ventures. You will see those uh, coming up Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. As always, thank you to our partners, Cannabis at Work and Cannabis Benchmarks, for their ongoing support of the work we do here at Business of Cannabis. Now, on to our conversation with Harrison Stoker of Hobo Cannabis. Enjoy. Harrison Stoker, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, man. Nice to be here.
0: Well, it's uh, it's a pleasure. And um, I will start with this, that uh, this conversation, the impetus of it is that uh, I think closest to my house, there's going to be a new hobo. And so I wanted to make sure that I knew you guys because it's going to be my local haunt on Bloor and Dovercourt in Toronto.
1: Yeah, one of many in the GTA that we're pretty excited about, uh, coming hot off the heels of uh, opening in Timmins, Ontario, this morning, coincidentally, uh, which would be the northernmost legal cannabis store in Ontario.
0: I like it. I, that's a good moniker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's funny you should say that. I was once in. Um, I once went to Yellowknife, and they claim to be have the northernmost Ethiopian restaurant in the world.
1: Awesome. I mean, yes. I don't know what you're in Yellowknife for, but it sounds
0: awesome. Uh, well, ironically, to talk about um, cannabis, tourism, cannabis, comma, tourism, comma, and people who go to Yellowknife to see the Northern Lights. That was or it. Ethiopian food, apparently. <laughs> right, that's right. I mean, it's a long way to go to eat Ethiopian food, but, uh, but now I can say that I did it. Uh, yeah. uh, I want to talk about Hobo. So you've been open uh, in both BC and Ontario. Um, I wanted to sort of hear the timelines of those things. But are there differences in each market that are either regulatory or how consumers sort of think about cannabis? Yeah, big
1: time. I mean, both. Really, let's start with regulatory because uh, you know that's obviously the most amount of fun. Uh, <laughs> it's the best thing to talk about. Right. Um, yeah, I mean we we're, so we're from Vancouver, uh, but we've been in Toronto for nearly five years by way of Donnelly Group with uh, pubs like Walrus and Belfast Love and taxes some other businesses, um, and so we've been in the liquor game <clears throat> for over twenty years. That's what kind of motivated us to get into cannabis retail in the first place, uh, and uh, and we felt like we were, we are experts in aligning leases and licenses. Uh, But cannabis is a whole other, has been a whole other thing. Um, And it's been interesting um, to really learn the differences uh, from a regulatory perspective. We're actually in market in Alberta as well. Um, And, you know, from a a policy perspective, as it relates to, you know, cannabis retail terms and conditions uh, and how uh, strict those are, as in, you know, how much fun shit can you do um, in BC, it's pretty hard nosed. In Alberta, it's pretty wild west. In Ontario, it's somewhere in between and uh, it's relatively ambiguous. And so it's pretty interesting for us kind of navigating um, the regulatory framework and and uh, being from BC probably enabled us um, you know, we had to learn the lessons hard, hard, the hard lessons first, um, and and so it feels like a little, it feels a little smoother in in Alberta and in, in Ontario, um, but BC is also a really interesting market. It's arguably um, the one that was most challenging for uh, cannabis retailers to penetrate. Um, it was our backyard, and if we weren't going to be the ones uh, to move quick uh, in that market, then we probably weren't going to stick around. And we did. We figured it out. Um, so. BC is a bitch. Alberta is pretty fun. And Ontario's somewhere in between from a regulatory perspective. Um, Does that translate to uh, customers? No, not necessarily. I mean, you've got uh, all your same sort of profiles, uh, cannabis uh, customer profiles everywhere. BC obviously has a sort of heightened level of. uh, awareness and expertise with cannabis, um, you know, with the the ever so famous BC Bud and the incredible industry that uh, was here previous to to recreational or or non-medical. But in Ontario, you've got a really sophisticated customer uh, as well, absolutely. Um, The nice thing about the sophisticated customer in Ontario is they love stuff from bc <laughs> and we're from bc so we've got this really great inroad um, uh, that we've definitely capitalized on we've got some incredible relationships with bclps um and even other things like bc craft breweries and stuff and and we we really kind of really jive on on uh, on our cross-discipline uh skill set and i think that really comes through uh to the customer for sure so lots of differences is the short answer
0: yeah uh, thinking about um ontario specifically because um uh, While well, you said it's sort of in between somewhere on the regulatory side between Alberta and BC, it's been, I think, behind both of them on the ramp up of, of retail, for sure. Uh, but that that has been a slowdown, but not a complete halt to sort of the expansion that has already been planned here, including for Hobo. Like, how has that expansion been over the past six, eight, you know, nine, 12 weeks that are sort of in shutdown mode of of lots of things? But but has that slowed the progress, or are things sort of on track as you saw them, or somewhere in between in terms of new stores opening in this province?
1: Yeah, you know it, it's interesting, man. When we got into cannabis retail, just like mostly everyone else, we jumped onto that roller coaster, um, and it just hasn't stopped. It's just had a few more, um, you know, it, it, it's it's had a few more twists and turns, and we've been getting flipped upside down. Uh, more often. Uh, but I think what for us uh, as a business, um, we really pride ourselves on our agility and, and a, a real fierce tenacity just to get shit done. Um, and so we were always equipped for this. Um, and, and because we came from, from liquor, uh, which is a similarly uh, challenging market, Um, that has got a lot of twists and turns uh, and and a real need uh, to be nimble. Um, I I think we've perhaps sort of uniquely equipped for this. Uh, I'm not saying it was easy. It certainly has not been easy. It's been a really, really wild ride. Um, But uh, we've been getting some really great wins, Uh, you know, in B.C., We really slowed things down as it relates to our growth plan. We have an operator's quota here of eight locations. Uh, We currently have five. um, And uh, we just decided to be a little bit more picky choosy about the uh, remaining three. Now next year, um, we're going to be working with the province to expand that quota um, so that we can open more stores. Um, But we have a tremendous amount of availability uh, of locations here in BC because of our relationships and, and, and how deeply we're ingrained we are in, in, in the market. Ontario uh, has been <laughs> really wild over the last eight weeks. Um, you know, the uh, essential business piece <coughs> um, was, uh, you know, that, that was just another sort of proverbial rug that got yanked out from underneath us. And, and this is like the third or fourth rug uh, that's getting pulled out from, you know, all of us cannabis retailers and, and, and licensed producers. Um, so that was really, really interesting. I think the heart-wrenching part of that was the moratorium on construction. Uh, obviously, we had uh, and still do have uh, a pretty aggressive growth plan for Ontario to the tune of 15 locations this year. Uh, it's pretty hard um, to open them if you can't build them. Right. Yeah. So we worked really closely with the AGCO uh, and the province and a lot of other retailers, um, uh, you know to, to, to first get relisted as essential uh, and then continue uh, to talk about you know conditional criteria around starting to release licenses licenses again and get that RSA train uh, moving and, and um, I really applaud uh, you know the province and HGCO and OCS they've all been incredibly motivated to, to, to work um, with this sort of coalition of retailers um, and they've made some really good moves and so we're seeing some incredible new uh, features for cannabis retail that are pretty native in any other modern retail industry um, really come to light and it's 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 just fun it's it's really fun to have these new tools um, that we've always dreamt of having we've always designed this brand and this business to execute in this ca- capacity um, so it's been a really it's been really really interesting uh, with the, re- the, re- the recent developments um, and we've just been right there at the front line and again we're super uh, we're like maniacally agile um so we were always ready to go right away we reopened our ontario stores right away we started doing delivery right away We were, you know always the first ones click and click the whole nine yards we we're just nuts um we're a little bit nerdy with technology too so we're always kind of ready to can, know, I,
0: can i ask you about that because we're pretty nerdy about certainly the intersection of cannabis retail and technology like what what has that been like to either add new functionality or, or turn it on if you were already planning for it
1: yeah, I mean, thankfully, we were ready for it. And it's interesting, Jay, because when we started to get into this in, in uh, mid to late 2018, um, <clears throat> a part of my personal process is, is, uh, is research and analysis. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's just above and beyond hearing myself talk out loud, which is probably the best way for me to learn in the first place. But then I actually had to write it down. Uh, and, and I authored uh, um, a white paper it, for internal sake. Uh, and it was really, really exciting read. Like cannabis, you know, it's coming. It's amazing modern retail. You know, there's words like omni-channel and subscription services being dropped in there, and like the, you know, really painted a bright future. Um, and then, you know, got got punched uh, uh, in the gut a whole bunch of times when it rolled out. I went back to that white paper recently, the last few days, and I was like, holy shit, you know, we're just like, this is all coming to light now. This is really cool. You know, some of our original vision for how we were gonna build this brand. And and thankfully, uh, over the course of the last two years, we did build the brand for that. We did build our digital ecosystem and our tech stack uh, for that. We were ready for that. Um, We were always ahead of everyone else. Um, And it was, uh, I think, we were just so passionate about having a modern retail brand, you know, the likes of Starbucks or Harry's Ra- razors or Warby Parker. Those were our case examples. When we were developing this brand, uh, we weren't looking at our competitive set. We weren't even necessarily looking at just the cannabis retail industry. We wanted to bring a product and a brand to people that uh, would feel as familiar as ordering glasses online. Um, yeah. and, and we're taking steps closer to doing it now.
0: Yeah. It's 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 of course smart, right? Because that that's because it was I mean, I'm just thinking your white paper being uh, uh, sort of 10 sections and and you were only really allowed to open with with section one and section two. Um, Someone just referred to it on something we did as uh, the stores were allowed to open up with technology, basically, or or functionality from like 1991. Um, But but over the past um, two or three months, it's gone from 1991 to, to, to today. Uh, right in a really short short amount of time, and those that were either prepared or able to move really nimbly uh are, are succeeding and i guess that that leads to the to the next point, which is you know and it's it's really difficult obviously to predict sort of the regulatory environment moving forward, but thinking about what is available now to you as a retailer right so click and collect curbside delivery actual delivery like if you had to place a bet on being able to do this forever or just or it 's going to stop. Post sort of lockdown, like wh- what would you think regulators are thinking about right now on that front
1: yeah it's a good one I mean for my, my bet obviously is all in uh, and, and maybe that's more even personal than professional because i I am that nerd that loves technology. I am that guy that loves uh, digital media and so but for the regulators you know they 're thinking about execution they 're thinking about process. Um, They're thinking about uh, maintaining the safety uh, of the community and ensuring uh, that us as as licensed retailers are are operating in in, uh, a really responsible fashion. And so this is really just a case study in what cannabis should be. Um, Perhaps it's the silver lining of this pandemic is that we were all forced into doing it. uh, Something that we should have done from probably day one But you know, I also don't want to knock the regulators, um, and not because you know they've got any authority over us, but because they genuinely have been working really well uh, with us and and others. And you can't, uh, you need to understand that starting policy hard and softening is pretty easy, but starting with soft policy and hardening is really hard. So I get it. I totally understand where they're coming from. Um, Could we move a little faster? Hell yeah. Could we have done it before pandemic? Absolutely are we here now? We are, we're here now, you know, and, um, and we're executing really, really well. Um, and, uh, which is good. So I think the case study is going to go really well, I think we're going to get flying marks. I think there's going to be some gold stars stamped on there. Um, and, and I'm really hoping that the regulators, uh, feel like it's, uh, it's some permanent, there's a sense of permanence with these features. Yeah. I know the customers will absolutely demand it. Uh, and that's pretty important. Um, and that, you know, a customer, Uh, is also constituent uh, and there's some buying power there um, to kind of keep these things alive so uh, a lot of fingers crossed a lot of knocking on wood um, more rain dancing for you guys there than us in Vancouver because it's sunny as hell Um, but uh, yeah we're hoping they're going to stick around we're we're actually in some really healthy talks with the government uh, the BC government here about uh, similar features inclusive of of shipping even too because um, there's a lot of people that have got uh, a real need uh, for cannabis that can't access it. Uh, specifically, today, uh, those who are seniors um, really shouldn't be, you know, be out in the public forum. It's, it's really dangerous. So uh, even delivery might not be enough. And, and uh, absolutely, in, in areas, specifically those that are rural, uh, where there isn't a store that might have a, you know, a 10 or 20 kilometer delivery radius, they need to get products shipped to them. So we're having some really good conversations um, with policymakers right now. Uh, about c- continue to push the needle in a really safe and respectful manner.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because, um, well, you think it, it's, it's taking over where retail is in, in real life, like non-cannabis retail is already there and sort of adhering to that here. Um, but, but also thinking about um, what the future may hold it, it, it's changed the business considerably, certainly for hobo and other retailers. But if you're, I mean everybody put a lot of thought into the in-store experience of course that was the only thing you had to actually put a lot of thought and time into uh but but those that have prepared for this eventuality whether it was going to be six months and pandemic induced or two years and just common sense policy um those that were ready are ready and those that aren't and you know we're only thinking about what consumers were going to happen in the store and weren't thinking about sort of the omni-channel and what it means to be online as a customer, what it means to be able to deliver and what would that mean for Hobo to be able to extend its footprint throughout BC or throughout Ontario. Um, That type of early days thinking that was in your white paper, no doubt is coming in obviously super valuable.
1: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. And, and, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, even if it, if, even if we didn't, we weren't prepared for it, we would still move super, super fast. This is the way we work. Um, you know, we we come from hospitality and and what that is is a relentless passion to serve others. You know, it's a real genuine empathy for the well-being of others. And so it's philosophically that we were really equipped um to look our customer in the eye, uh, whether it was over Zoom or not, uh, and say, I'm gonna figure out how to service you the best way I possibly can. Uh, and so that's just in our genetics. We've got that drive. Um uh, and, and thankfully, our group, uh, inclusive of Opobo, uh, our retail vertical and hospitality, you know, pubs and barbershops and stuff, is a collection of, of, of like-minded people that have got that running through their DNA. <clears throat> and uh, so our sense of urgency is always really high because uh, we, it's the customer um, that's important to us. They're the ones that we're accountable to.
0: Yeah. it's Look, I, I, lo- I love the story, love the passion, love the... The foresight and and love, sort of the nimbleness in which you guys are operating right now. Harrison Stoker, thanks for being here today. Uh, thanks for all that you guys are doing, and I can't wait to go to uh, Lauren Dovercourt, which is uh, about a six minute walk away, to visit Hobo.
1: Cheers! Nice Great. to talk with you.
0: Thanks, Harrison. Talk to you soon.